I don't have a PowerPoint or anything today. This is going to be a very basic lesson. I don't think you'll have any trouble following it. Um, it this is really a, a lesson um, that uh, I'm sure we, we all heard something like it uh, around the time that we became a Christian. Uh, to hear it again, if we've been a Christian a long time. Uh, and it's also important uh, because uh, there may be people in attendance today who aren't Christians, and um, it's an important lesson for them to hear as well. So uh, I, I call this lesson um, a step-by-step -step guide to cleaning your soul. Um, I, I chose that title because I'm not actually very fond of, of clean. The idea of a cleansing, a spiritual cleansing, is, uh, is ever-present in the Bible. And I want to focus in on uh, uh, Colossians uh, 1, verses 21 through 23, um, just these three verses, uh, and talk a little bit about the steps uh, to uh, having a, uh, to making yourself right spiritually, having a pure uh, soul. You know, a person can uh, come to faith for any number of, uh, of reasons. It may have to do with personal circumstances in their lives or, um, you know, uh, any number of series of events that may uh, push them uh, toward uh, coming to God. But uh, if, you know, if you know the Bible and you keep coming back to it, you know, it's because you understand inherently, uh, and the Bible confirms this to you, that there's something not right with us. There is something amiss in this world. And usually when we, uh, you know, before we come to faith, we can't quite our fingers on it, uh, but it 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 starts to you know take shape, and and we're afraid to speak it. And then as it becomes undeniable, as we submit our lives to Christ, um, we we find that that we've been in horrible uh, uh, peril this entire time because we and and by we I mean human beings have a major problem, and the problem is this. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with this world, and the fault is not with God. The fault is with us. And if we're honest, each one of us at the bottom of our hearts knows this. And further, we read Scripture, we're confronted with the tendency of man to wantonly sin against God. You see again and again that to sin against God is to miss the mark. It separates one from God. So how do we reunite with him once we've been separated? How do we make ourselves clean again? Uh, at one point or another, all of us have sought these answers. Maybe there's somebody here who's seeking these answers right now. Uh, so if so, this lesson is for you. Um, and if you've been a Christian for a long time, like I said, it's important for us to remind ourselves of, of God's plan for us. So I want to posit to you that in, in, in Colossians 1, verses 21 through 23, we see four stages of the soul, you could call them, um, if you want to think about them that way, and they are alienation, reconciliation, continuation, and glorification. Now let's just reread Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in the body of flesh, in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
All right, so in these three verses, we see step-by-step step, the process, alienation, reconciliation, continuation, and glorification. Let's look at verse 21 and, and talk about the idea of being alienated from God. Um, we, we, we all know what it's like to be alienated by somebody else's behavior. Um, have you ever been, have you ever, have you ever had this experience? Have you ever been sitting at a restaurant with a table full of people and there's a, a a bowl of dip in the middle of the table and somebody in your party at this restaurant uh, uh dares to to dip their chip not once but twice into the dip in the middle of the table that is an alienating behavior right and if we're honest how many of us have been at sitting in a restaurant at a table and been the person who took the chip and dipped it not once but twice if, if, if we're all honest, I think we all know what it's like to be alienated by the actions of others and to do something that alienates other people from us. Um, we, we, we know what, what, what this is like, uh, to have a, a separation socially between each other because of things that we do. We have to imagine what this is like from God's perspective. Um, God loves us greatly. He made us in his image. and He wants to be in union with us. But human beings sin a lot, and, and this separates us from God continually. We, we get bent out of shape with each other over um, offenses sometimes. I think sometimes we play uh, you know, a mental game of, I'll forgive them this time, but this is the third time in a row, so not again. Um, if you imagine having a friend that required your forgiveness, for a, a million smite, a million slights, small and big, um, every single second of the day from now until forever. And try to imagine yourself genuinely and consistently offering your sincere forgiveness to this person. When we really can get our heads around uh, uh, the idea that 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 we come to God so often. Um, we, we prostrate ourselves before him and beg for forgiveness. When we understand how often we do that and how often and freely God forgives, we begin to understand what God has done for us when we were once so far away from him and when we continually uh, uh, are, are, are want to, uh, to forget our first love. We've all sinned. We've all driven God out of the room of our hearts. Uh, let's look at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, quickly, um, verses 9 through 18. Romans 3, verses 9 through 18. What then? Are we Jews better off? No, not at all. For we uh, have already uh, charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their, lists, uh, under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the condition of mankind, as Paul describes it. This is Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, as we discussed in class this morning. 
we are all separated from enemies of God. And you say, well, Paul, this sounds intense. This sounds heavy. This sounds bad. And you would be right about that. But this is not the end of the process. This is just the first step. So let's look at uh, reconciliation. Colossians uh, verse 22. Colossians verse 22. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You know, I, as I said, mankind's got a major problem. We discussed this. We talked about alienation. The only solution, the only way to reconcile us to God uh, was Christ. And Christ died uh, that we might uh, have fellowship with him, that we might approach his presence, uh, 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 approach the presence of God in prayer, and most importantly, to cleanse us of our sins, to make us pure in the sight of God, and ultimately to unify us with God. Let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered uh, for all for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are be those who are being sanctified. So we see that not only uh, does Christ desire um, our salvation, our our reconciliation, but our unification uh, in in cause and in spirit and in mind with God. Um, biblical reconciliation to God is is very different from I think the way a lot of people conceive of church membership. Um, some people, uh, seem to want to be in the family of God, but they only want to be like second cousins, you know, um, being reconciled to God is an all in or all out deal. There's no neutral observer. Okay. Um, when we're called out by God, we are called out, not into a social club where we pay our dues and fulfill minimum requirements. We're called into the blood of his covenant. Um, let's look quickly at Romans chapter six. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. In Romans 6, verse 3, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So we take on his death, we take on his blood uh, when we become children of his, when we submit ourselves to his will. And true reconciliation means uh, belief in Christ and trust in him. Uh, what, what do we mean by that, trusting in Christ? Well, uh, if you look at uh, John chapter 8, turn to, with me to John chapter 8 quickly. We, we first have to trust that he, that he was who he, says he, who he said he was. Um, in uh, John chapter 8, verses 50, verse 54.
John 8, 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is, uh, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father is Abraham. Your, your, your father Abraham rejoiced that he, would, that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The Jews say to Jesus here, you're not yet 50 years old. How could you have seen Abraham? And, and Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And that phrase, I am, of course, is, is, is one of the basic names of God used throughout, uh, throughout Scripture, and particularly uh, in the Old Testament. It is a simple statement of being on behalf of God and, and pre-existence before anything else. And so Jesus identifies himself with that idea of God, uh, that God is an eternal spirit and was there from the beginning. And so, of course, he knows Abraham. We also, we, we not just trusting that Jesus uh, was God, that Jesus was who he said he was, uh, but we, we, we trust that his last great act of strength and suffering, that is his death, it was intended for, for us, not just for us collectively, but for each of us personally. Uh, John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We think of the world as this huge mass, but it's made up of each one of us. Each one of us individually uh, was offered the great grace and blood of Christ. And thirdly, we trust that he did it because we, each one of us, you, were too precious to let fall through the spiritual cracks. Um, all of us were in danger. All of us were, were without, without a plan, without hope. And Christ would not let us slip away. We were too precious to him. You are a vital piece of God's plan. And he wants to see you take your place in that great drama that's been unfolding across time, this great plan that he's been constructing. And if we've not been reconciled, we're in quite a serious situation. We must not delay. There are eternal stakes in the balance, and time is not unlimited. If you've not been personally reconciled to God, if you've not been uh, brought into a relationship, into a covenant with him by an act of recognition and obedience on your part, uh, proclaiming your, your belief, repenting, turning from your old ways, confessing his name, and then being baptized uh, into, into his death and raised up to new life, then you remain separated from him, um, and you remain in your sins. And, and, and this is... Uh, not to not to berate you or, or, or not to uh, to to pressure you to to accept something that you don't understand, but just to convey the seriousness of the state of being separated from God with no means of approaching him uh, outside of the blood of Christ. Continuation. Um, back to Colossians, Colossians one chapter uh, sorry chapter Colossians chapter one verse twenty three. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul tells us that we have the potential to become holy. 
But there is a condition attached. We must continue in the faith. Um, I want to look at a few verses. Uh, turn with me quickly to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter four verses two through seven. Well, Second Timothy four two through seven. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and, my and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. And then let's consider briefly also Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14 says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So, notice th these phrases, if you continue in your faith, I have kept the faith, if we hold firmly to the end. I spoke earlier about how uh, it's always, uh, you know, it, it seems like it's, it's generally uh, the same impulse, the same feeling that leads people to start to explore the Bible, start to explore faith. And it's the sensation that there's something amiss, there's something not quite right uh, about this life. And what you find when you read uh, Ecclesiastes, when you read what Jesus had to say on the subject, the conclusion is this. Are you ready? We don't feel at home in this world because this world is not our home. This world is a, a temporary in-between, a kind of spiritual proving ground upon which our eternity rests. And further, this world is just a shadow of the world that is coming. That world is more real than this one, not the other way around. That life beyond is true life. This life is a walking death. You may say, that's horribly depressing. And I say, I know, I know, I know. Why do you think I'm, I, I, I'm rambling on here? But there is a way to face that. There is a way to pass through this crooked world with joy in Christ. And that way is run the race. Run it for home. Run towards your true home, which awaits you. And of course, uh, that brings me to our final point. And, and, and to get to that, um, Colossians, back to Colossians chapter 1. Um, Colossians chapter 1, we won't backtrack a little bit to verse 22 and, and read that again. Glorification. He has now reconciled us into the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. After everything we just discussed, how is that possible? Well, the answer is that it's not. Uh, we've all sinned and we all stand accused before God. It's a good thing then that the world, the, the, that, that the word impossible uh, doesn't actually apply to God or mean anything to him, uh, as we know. Um, we all love a rags to riches story. We all love a story uh, where somebody faces immense adversity, seemingly insurmountable adversity, and then overcomes. Have you ever wondered why that is? There is no, there, there are no riches on this earth that can compare to the riches in heaven. And there's no poverty we can imagine that compares to the poverty of hell. And make no mistake, we were impoverished. We had impoverished ourselves spiritually. And then Christ lavished his riches upon us. He extravagantly poured them out on us. We've been paupers on this earth, but in heaven we will be kings. We have no way of understanding how fulfilling uh, our glorification will be when we, when we achieve it, but our imaginations can take us to some interesting places. Um, let's look at Psalms, uh, Psalm, Psalm 50, or I'm sorry, Psalm 84. Psalm 84, verse 10. Psalm 84, verse 10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I think we, we limit what heaven might be sometimes. We limit what our glorification might be. We let the phrase, standing in the presence of God, pass through our, our minds so often that we don't ever actually stop and consider what that means. We will be face-to-face -face with our Creator. We will understand everything. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, only joy, only every great and precious thing we can imagine in this life that will be all that exists there. Let's... Uh, Going back to Colossians for the last time, or I'm sorry, not going back to Colossians, going to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. This is where I want to close out. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Actually, let's begin with verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Jesus, God in the form of man, was rich in a true sense beyond our imagination. He willingly made himself poor for us because we were poor. 
and through his poverty that 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 through his poverty we might be raised to riches for one to be with him in his presence that is a truly amazing thing to see him as he is to know him as he knows us to fully belong to him in heavenly bliss that we cannot even approach fathoming that's the glorification that awaits us that's how we clean our souls that's how clean we will be and that's how a seemingly irredeemable man finds through the immense grace of god redemption against all odds that's all i have for today but i i hope it's been beneficial again if uh, if you're here and you have not taken these steps if you've not um sought a relationship with god sought a way to rectify the enmity the enmity between yourself and god i urge you please consider this passage and 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 all the others that that lead us to uh the way of salvation through christ uh we we have all all of us who have come to christ were once alienated from him were once lost and we have found reconciliation through his blood we continue as best we know how um in this life where where we are faced with uncertain circumstances and where we often don't know the right thing to do and, and often make mistakes as human beings but we know that we're headed for a great and perfect glorification where god will make all things perfect for those who have loved him for all time thank you very much <laughs>